listening to Vet Candy. Normal veterinarian attire includes many things. For example, a white coat, blue scrubs, stethoscope, cap, and a pair of gloves. But a crown? Never. Not unless your name is Dr. Debbie Turner Bell, of course. That is because in addition to being a veterinarian, Dr. Debbie was also the winner of Miss America in 1990. Originally born in Hawaii, this communication megastar attended Arkansas State University, where she received her Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. Later, she attended the University of Missouri-Columbia, and that's where she got her DVM. Who would have guessed that a veterinarian could also win the Miss America crown? Yet, for this Wonder Woman, that's exactly what happened. Welcome, welcome to our show, 21 Questions with Dr. Jill, and I'm Dr. Jill Lopez. I am bubbling with excitement to introduce you to Dr. Debbie Turner-Bell. Welcome to the show, Dr. Debbie. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So a lot of stuff has happened since you were Miss America. What are you doing now? What are you doing now? Like, how do you up that? Like, how do you go beyond Miss America? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? First of all, I just have to say that being in the Miss America pageant was a means to an end. And so while being Miss America changed my life and it was wonderful and it was awesome and, you know, I'm proud to have served in that role. It was what got me to veterinary school and got me through veterinary school debt free. So it was the means to an end. It wasn't the end in itself. So uh, while being Miss America was pretty hot stuff, uh, becoming a veterinarian was way up there because that's why I got involved in the pageant anyway. So, Dr. Debbie, are you excited to start the 21 questions? So let's go. Okay, I'm ready. Number one, what is the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Probably, well, I've done, first of all, a lot of embarrassing things. Probably the biggest one was uh, being on stage in a pageant. It was the Junior Miss Pageant, and they didn't have swimsuit competition. They had physical fitness. And we literally had to do an aerobics routine on stage. So the judges somehow judged our physical fitness from this choreographed aerobics routine. Well, I was so busy smiling and trying to make googly eyes at the judges. I don't know. I lost my balance. I lost my sense of uh, you know, space and place and did a twirl and landed flat on my behind right there in the middle of the stage. That was pretty embarrassing, and pretty stupid. So what did you do? Did you try to act like it was part of your routine? Did you start doing push-ups? <laughs> you, well, no, I did not. I wish I'd been quick enough to think of that. I just bounced right back up and giggled at myself and kept right on going. Thankfully, I didn't break anything or hurt anything. Oh, good, good. So what's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? So this is this was not spontaneous. However, it's the most adventurous. I'm going to adjust your question just a little bit. So you're saying you're not a very spontaneous person. I plan a lot. I do like spontaneity, but I like planned spontaneity. <laughs> what's your most spontaneous thing that you planned? All right, there we go. An, an open scuba dive in the Atlantic Ocean feeding sharks without a cage. Okay, I didn't say the stupidest thing you ever done. What made you to feed sharks 
Without a cage. So it was a part of uh, my job. I was a reporter at the time at CBS News in New York. Uh-huh. And uh, this was my first assignment back from being on my honeymoon with my husband. Uh-huh. And uh, what I now know, didn't know it at the time, producer called and said, hey, it was Shark Week. I don't know if you remember Shark Week used to be a really big thing. Oh, yeah. It still is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is still a big thing. But this was when it was new and, you know, shiny and everybody just was, ooh, ah. And so we were participating in Shark Week and there was this opportunity uh, to go down, get um, resort certified in scuba Uh and go on this tour that this resort offered to uh, their patrons to do this open scuba dive and feed sharks. And so the producer said, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm pretty adventurous in that way. And And I'm like, yes. And he's like, now, just know you don't have to do it because everybody else has said no. And I was like, sure, why not? When else would I get an opportunity like that? You know, my husband begged me not to because it was it was at a depth. I forget now what the depth is, but it was below the depth that you can do a quick ascent. It was low and deep enough that you have to do the graduated ascent so you don't develop the bends and die. That was a little crazy, but hey, I'm here. I live to tell the tale. So it was cool. So what's your biggest regret? Do you have any regrets? I do. You know, I know some people don't believe in regrets because they say whatever happened, you know, makes them who they are today. But yeah, I have a couple and one specific for, you know, you and I talking about being veterinarians. My class in veterinary school graduated without me because I was out being Miss America the year that they graduated. I had something booked. I can't even remember what it was, but I was not allowed to go to my class's graduation. Yeah, I had to go do something else. And I begged and I tried and I cried and I couldn't convince the Miss America organization to change whatever it was so that I could be at their graduation. So my class graduated without me. Yeah. And I lost touch with so many of them because of that. And I wish now, knowing what I know now as a, you know, a fully formed adult woman that, you know, I probably could have put my foot down and insisted, but I was trying to be a team player and I didn't want to be labeled as difficult, you know, so I kind of went along with it. But I wish I had stood my ground and been there to see the class that I went through most of veterinary school with graduate. And of course, I graduated the following year with the next class. Oh, that's so sad. You've been everywhere. You've done everything. If you had one day where you have an unlimited budget, you can go anywhere you want, do whatever you want. What would your dream day be? Well, I would spend most of it getting to Fiji because it takes a long time to get down to Fiji. But that's probably what I do. I want to go. I've seen all these beautiful pictures of not only the pristine beaches, but they have those huts that you literally, your room is out over the water. I saw that on the Kardashian show where Kim dropped her diamonds into the water in that in that area. And then she had to go get someone to find it or something. I'm not sure if they found it, but it was like a boulder of diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know if I'd wear diamond earrings or Kim, but uh, that's what I would love to do. I love the water. I love the ocean. I love beaches. Um, and um, I just love the sound of the ocean. So I would spend my day getting down there to spend a few minutes down there before I'd have to spend the rest of the day coming back. So your 24 hours starts in Fiji. So what would you do that on your dream day? So I would, first of all, spend just a few hours just listening to the ocean. I would eat all my favorite foods 
Um, of course, if you're there, you got to eat fresh fish and hopefully there'd be uh, papaya and mango. Uh-huh. And then I would read a book and then I would swim in the ocean. I'd hopefully be able to take my husband with me. Yeah, you could do whatever you want. Yes. And then day. we would do things that are not proper to talk about right now. Uh, <laughs> and then we would watch the sunset and maybe, I don't know, watch a great movie at the end of the night once the sun has gone down. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That is a dream day. I know, Dr. Debbie, you're doing, you're good at everything. You play piano, you sing, or is that a rumor? I wouldn't say that I play the piano, though. That's a stretch. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I took piano as a kid, like lots of kids, but. Mm. So what do you wish that you were really, really good at? Oh, well, that's easy. I wish I were a great dancer. Oh. I love all uh, forms of dance, you know, tap dance, ballet, modern Living in New York for so many years, I loved going to the ballet. I loved the Alvin Ailey uh, dance. I love them. The uh, American Dance Theater. But I'm not a great dancer. And more than anything, I want a dancer's body. <laughs> yeah. Those long legs. Yeah. Oh, yes. And everything is taut and toned and rippled. Um, so that would be it. I would love to be a great professional dancer. Okay, Great. So I'm so excited. This is so much fun. So let's take a short break here and listen to some messages from our sponsor. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show it's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hollies. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. So if Dancing with the Stars called you up today, would you agree to go? Because... When you leave that, you're going to be a wonderful dancer. Well, you'd be a good good ballroom dancer, which, yeah, I would do it. It would just be a lot of fun. I've heard so many of the celebrities, you know, they they lose some weight and they have a lot of fun. And and I think the pay is pretty good, too. So, yeah, I'm game. I'd do it. Well, we'll have to let their producers know. Okay. All right. Would you do it? But remember, I'm just a lowly person. They would never let anyone like me on there. They want a star like you, like the queen. Oh, stop it. Well, then they won't want me if that's what they're looking for. (laughs) Speaking of weird things, what's the most cringeworthy outfit you've ever worn? And I wonder if it was that aerobics outfit in the beginning. (laughs) What was that? No, that wouldn't be it. Well, of course, you know, I'm a child of the late 70s and 80s. And the 80s were the age of bugle beads and and huge shoulder pads, uh, right? And, you know, all kinds of garish colors. So I was in a parade and I wore this. It really was, it was a beautiful gown, but it was blood red with these huge, Jill, I don't even know what to call them. It was sort of like a, a portrait collar, but the portrait part of it were these huge ruffles that were padded. You know, so they kind of stood up around me like a cloud of bleeding something. I don't know. Pillows? Bleeding <laughs> pillows. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I looked like a crime scene. There needed to be yellow tape around me. That's pretty cringeworthy. 
So if you could be any animal, which animal would you be? Yeah, this is easy uh, because I'm a huge feline lover of all kinds, the domestic and wild. So I would be a cat. A regular cat or would you be a lioness? No, not a lioness because the males really dominate the females in, in the lion pride. I would be a jaguar. Yes, because they're sleek and elegant and fast and they like to be up in trees. I would say they are the beauty queens of the wild feline. You know, they are, aren't they? And their fur always looks like it's been moisturized. It's so glossy and shiny. They do some good grooming, right? I know you live in Michigan now. Would you rather leave your hometown and never return again or stay in your hometown but never be able to leave? That's a really unfair question because I love my hometown, which is not in Michigan. It's in Arkansas. I grew up in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and it was a great place to grow up. Uh, And I truly am a country girl at heart, but I do like the bright lights uh, and the sounds of the big city. So I would hate to say I'd never go back to Jonesboro, but that would be what I would choose is to leave my hometown and never go back because at least I would have the experience and the memories of growing up there. Yeah. But you can't just say you got to have some excitement, right? You can't stay. You got to have some excitement. Yeah. I think I need to be able to drive obnoxiously and order food in the middle of the night and it be delivered to me and you know, all those things. How big is Jonesboro? Is it, is it a large city or? Well, it's much bigger now than when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there was less than 30,000 people, probably 25, 28-ish. It was a college town. Arkansas State University was there. There are many much smaller towns than, you know, a town of 25,000. But it had that small town feel. Everybody knew everybody. If you didn't know the person, you knew the family they came from. If you didn't know the family, you knew their business because that's kind of what everybody did. Talk about, you know, gossip about everybody else. You know, it was that type place that nobody locked their doors and You know, I remember getting in trouble for stuff before I got home because, you know, the parent telephone grapevine line was in full effect, you know. So I couldn't do anything anywhere in town without my mother finding out about it before I got home. Yeah. So I appreciate that now. It it wasn't that fun when I was growing up, though. Do you know how many Miss Arkansas that have been Miss Americas? Two, I believe. Two? Yeah. Donna Axum. Uh, who was the very popular Miss America amongst the Miss Americas, and then Elizabeth Ward. And I don't think I'm forgetting anyone. I mean, but I, I was Miss Missouri because of, I was in veterinary yes. school. I'm the only Miss Missouri to become Miss America. Oh, Miss Missouri. Yeah, you were from Miss You were going to school in Missouri. Yeah. Well, they've been doing pretty well. They just in the last um, five, six years, they've had a first runner up and others that made that top five. They just haven't quite gotten it yet. But um, I'm pl- proud to uh, have represented Missouri. It seems like California is overrepresented, right? There are a number from California, but in the Miss America system, California doesn't hold the record. And I don't know these these trivia statistics off the top of my head, like some other uh, Miss Americas might. But like Oklahoma has a ton of Miss Americas. Alabama has a ton of Miss Americas. Texas has had several Miss Americas. They got that big hair, right? Ready to go. Bigger the hair, the closer to God, honey. (laughs) So if you had to rename yourself, what name would you choose? I would choose one of my childhood imaginary friend names. I had 
huge imaginary friends when I was growing up. And for whatever reason, I named my imaginary friend Teresa McIntyre. I don't know why. I don't, at that point, I'd never met anyone with either of those names, but I was insistent that my family acknowledge Teresa McIntyre. So my grandmother would have to fix a plate for Teresa along with my plate. Otherwise I wouldn't eat. Me and Teresa were tight. (laughs) So I'd have to be Teresa McIntyre. That is tough to spell too. I can't even pronounce it. I don't know how she spelled it. Yeah, I couldn't spell back then. So um, what was the last show that you binge watched? Probably All American on Netflix, which is more of a like a, a young people's show. It's about these high school football players, you know, but it's real wholesome and it was fun to watch. What'd you like the best about it? I don't know. It was just interesting. It was about this very wealthy uh, family that lived in Beverly Hills, I think it was, or Bel Air. And it was a, a biracial family. But the husband, the Black husband, was from Compton, from the south side of L.A. And uh, in his old neighborhood, there was a star quarterback at that high school uh-huh. who just wasn't getting going to get any opportunities because he was from, you know, a disenfranchised, underserved area. I forget now the details, but ended up at this high school, this very wealthy, ritzy area, and became the star quarterback here, there. So there was a lot of drama around, you know, cultural adjustments and cultural clashes between, you know, the rich kids in Beverly Hills and, you know, his ethics and uh, identifying from being the South side of, uh, or from South LA. Sounds like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes, there's the football version of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Did you ever watch Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock? I did see the movie, yes. Do you think it was very similar to real life in pageants? Not at all. No? No. I mean, come on, what comedy movie is ever similar to life? So I know a lot of people, you know, love that movie. And it was, you know, it was cute. I can't say I loved it because I saw the places that were exaggerated or or just not true to my experience of being in pageants. So I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie, but it was cute. People are hired that help you with your makeup and your hair and your walking. What is that called? Like a consultant? Probably would be called coaches. And yeah, there are plenty of coaches in the pageant world, not just with Miss America. I didn't have many, very few of those because we just couldn't afford them. You know, so I kind of had to just figure it out uh, on my own. But there, yeah, particularly not so much uh, as much today, but 30 years ago when I was competing, that was a big business. There was a fitness trainer that a lot of the uh, contestants would go to to get a customized fitness routine to prepare them for the swimsuit competition. And his name, uh, I believe he was in Oklahoma. His name was Chuck the Butcher. So I I had one consultation with Chuck the Butcher. I couldn't afford to go to him, you know, regularly. So yeah, there are all kinds of people that can help you with your stage presence and then lots of coaches that helped contestants prepare for the interview, which is really the most uh, important part of the competition in the Miss America pageant. The the pageant really is won or lost in the interview because the title holder spends her year speaking to people and dealing with the press. So, and I did have coaching around that, but it was usually like my mother's friends and colleagues from her job. Hey, it works. It works. It did work. It was helpful. We would put together a panel of people to simulate a judge's panel and they would fire questions at me Uh about current events and social issues and, you know, all kinds of things. And we videotape it and then 
watch the videotape back and they would critique me. This was a good answer. You didn't follow through. You contradicted yourself. You're, you were slouching. Your posture looked bad. Your, you know, your feet weren't together. I mean, pick me apart by piece. And then we'd do it again. And I'd, I'd try to improve on those things that they critiqued me on. So it was quite a, a grueling process. And that probably helped you with your later, your journalism, right? Yes, it's helped me in every facet of my life in, in a number of ways, you know, to, to be a stronger communicator and everything I've ever done in my adult life has been around communication. So that really helped me, but also just knowing how to receive feedback and to benefit from it and not to have a, a thin skin about it. I, you know, I developed a really thick skin going through preparation for the Miss America pageant, which has served me well as as well, because most industries are pretty competitive and you know, especially broadcast journalism that I spent 25 years in. It's a shark tank. It's dog eat dog. And I was well prepared for it having gone through pageants. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. So I hate to do this, but let's take a break and listen to our sponsor. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything Vet Med? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. Stream at My Vet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. So I know you're a music lover, and if you could only listen to one song the rest of your life, what song would that be? Yeah, that's a tough one because I I am a music lover and I love many genres, you know, I love jazz and classical and gospel. And I love some, you know, pop and R&B and funk. This is not a funny or exciting answer, but it's a true answer. It's an authentic one. There is a a gospel artist who's no longer alive. Uh His name is Andre Crouch and he recorded a song called My Tribute. Mm -hmm. The more common way it's referred to is To God Be the Glory. Uh, and I'm going to recite some, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm going to recite some of the words so that you understand why it's my favorite song. It starts off, how can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you came to give your life for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory is the chorus. And that's kind of the soundtrack of my life. That's the theme of my life. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I've been blessed to attain has been by the grace and goodness of God. So that would be the song I probably could listen to for the rest of my life. This is a weird one. What's the weirdest dream you've ever had? You know what? I just had a weird dream last night and it might be up there with some of the weirdest. I'll first just say generally, especially when I was in college and veterinary school, I had the quintessential dream of waking up on a finals day and didn't know it was finals and not being prepared. You know, I think every student has that dream. So I had one the other day. You know, I had those a lot during that time of life or showing up in class, not knowing that there was going to be a test. And I also happened to be naked, too. 
So I had lots of those. Um, but since you asked, just last night, I had this weird dream that my husband and I were looking for a new place to live. And the only place we could find was this really sketchy place, this really sketchy neighborhood. It was in disrepair. And we tried to move in there and it was just so bad. I was like, I can't stay. So we went to find another place and it was even worse. And on top of being sketchy, it was dirty. And we were going to have to share a bathroom and a kitchen with somebody else. It was it was just really, really it was really, really odd. I told my husband about this dream this morning and he said, what did you eat before you went to sleep? What did you eat before you went to sleep? An almond joy. Oh, <laughs> that is what I ate before I went to sleep. So yeah, I guess my dream felt like a nut. I don't know. I don't know. We talked about Fiji, but is there anything else on your bucket list that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Yeah, a few things. I've always wanted to learn how to fly. I love to get my pilot's license. I may have aged out of it by now, Uh uh, but that's always been sort of on my list of things that I would love to do. I would love to give a TED Talk. Oh, I've never been to Australia. I'd love to go to Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've done a lot of traveling in Australia and Asia. I haven't hit either one of those continents. So those would be the things that would be high on my bucket list. Would you say you're more of a morning person or a night person? Morning person, hands down, close the book. Yes. My mother had really strict bedtimes for us growing up. Like I can remember having to go to bed at seven o'clock and it was still like daylight outside and I could hear my friends outside playing. You know, it was terrible. But it, it set up this little uh, rhythm in me. And to this day, I, you know, go to bed early and I get up crazy early. In veterinary school, I'd go to bed at like eight or nine o'clock and get up at two in the morning and do my studying. I'd study until time for class. And that's how I got through veterinary school. And then I worked in morning television at CBS. That fit very well. I'd have to, you know, sometimes be at the studio at, you know, four in the morning, get up at three. And to this day, I still get up, you know, between four and five most days. Oh my gosh. Wow. They say the most successful people are the people that get up at four in the morning. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. That's just how I'm built. My my brain starts to shut down in the evening. So, you know, I lose all productivity. So I just go to bed and then get up in the morning and get it all done. <laughs> Let's go back to music. What is your go-to karaoke song or a song you would sing in the car or shower? I have two go-to karaoke's. The, the, the first one, the longest living one is Respect by Aretha Franklin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And she, I don't know if it, people know it, but she sings it at a really crazy high key. Uh, but I always try to conquer that. And then um, uh, there's a share song, uh, Do You Believe in Life After Love? So those are my two go-tos. Yeah, that's a good one. Shows your vocal range, yes. What was your talent when you were Miss America? I can't remember. I play a melodic percussion instrument called a marimba. A lot of people don't know what a marimba is, but it's a bigger, deeper uh, pitched version of a xylophone. Oh, yeah, the marimba. I love the marimba. Miami Sound Machine. Miami Sound Machine. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful instrument. It has its history from, it's from Africa, it's an African instrument. They used to carve long pieces of wood and put it over a hole in the ground. And each piece would be a different size to get a different pitch. But um, yeah, I was a percussionist in the band. So when I entered my first pageant and I needed talent, I wasn't a great singer and I wasn't really great at anything else, but I was a very good percussionist. So I chose the marimba and um, that's what I did. So small town girl from Arkansas 
plays the marimba? Did you play it in the band? I did. Not as much. I mean, I was a snare drummer in marching band. I was a really good snare drummer uh, back in those days. And then during concert season, I usually played the timpani. But I knew because I took piano lessons as a young girl, sometimes I was one of the few kids in the percussion section that knew how to read music. So I'd get the xylophone part. You know, my mother was one of those that she pretty much let me take lessons on anything I expressed interest in. I was in ballet. I had gymnastics. I took baton. uh, I sang in the church choir. You know, I did all these things, but Mm -hmm. I just was fairly average at all of them. So as I'm going over with my mom, what should I do for talent? You know, I could do a baton routine. I could do a gymnastics routine. And I remember her just kind of uh, flippantly saying over her shoulder, if you expect to win, you need to do what you're good at. I was a good percussionist. You know, I practiced every day, you know, several hours a day. And so I figured nobody would appreciate me playing a drum solo in the pageant, but they might enjoy a marimba solo. So that's how I got started. If you could move anywhere in the world, where would you go? Somewhere warm, near an ocean and a white, pristine sand beach. Pensacola, Florida? Could be, but probably more like Hawaii. Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was born in Hawaii, by the way. I saw that in your Wikipedia article. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, but that part is true. (laughs) How were you born in Hawaii? Was your family in the military? My dad was in the military. He was in the army, and there's an army base in Honolulu. So there is, for anyone that ever visits Hawaii, as you're driving from the airport into the main part of uh, Oahu, which is where Honolulu is, you will pass a big pink hospital called Tripler Hospital, and that's where I was born. Yeah, I have no memory of it. We moved away when I was quite young, but uh, (laughs) I love the bragging rights anyway. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you moved to Arkansas after Hawaii? No. Uh, in fact, um, when I was born, it was in, during the Vietnam War. My father served three tours of duty at, in the Vietnam War. And so each time he went overseas, we would move to my mother's hometown so my grandmother could help care for us, my sister and myself. Said all that to say, we lived six different places the first five years of my life, which included Kentucky, Uh, Missouri, Kansas. Of course, I was born in Hawaii. And then we eventually moved to Jonesboro, Arkansas, because my father was recruited to teach on faculty at Arkansas State University in the ROTC department. He was the first African-American of two students to graduate from ASU. And then he came back as the first African-American professor at Arkansas State University. Yeah. So that's what got us back to Jonesboro. And um, during that time, my mom and dad's marriage Uh, fell apart and they separated and we stayed in Jonesboro and he went on, you know, to be assigned around the world with his military career. But that's how I ended up growing up in Jonesboro. Wow. Wow. Really cool. Yeah. We're very proud of him. You didn't ask me this, but I'll brag on my dad anyway. Um, Just last year in 2021, my dad was honored by the ROTC uh, building that he taught at 40 years ago. Um, was renamed after him. Oh, really? What's it called? It's the Lieutenant Colonel Frederick C. Turner Jr. Military Science Building. And it is the only building in the university system in Arkansas that is named after an African-American. Well, there should be more. Listen up, Arkansas. Name some more stuff. Come on. So let's take a quick break and let's go to a commercial. (laughs) 
We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy IRL is an exciting podcast from the hearts, minds, and mouths of Shannon Gregoire, Tatiana Rogers, and Lexi Rodriguez. The show celebrates inspirational role models and focuses on empowerment and equality. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. So when was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone? This may be tough because you're not very spontaneous and you're very cautious. Mm, no, this is not tough. I push myself to step out of my comfort zone all the time. I just, I don't think we can ach- achieve our potential mm-hmm. if we remain comfortable. So every role that I've ever done has been outside my comfort zone, uh, including the things that I do now, working in consulting, teaching leadership development and women's leadership and that kind of thing. I had to develop those chops while I was in the role. I'm on staff uh, as a staff pastor at my church. Never thought I would do that. Had to learn a whole new skill. Even going into television. I mean, I was trained to be a veterinarian. And before I knew it, I was on network television. That was really uncomfortable because the stakes were high and the fall was going to be far and very public. So I've lived just about my entire life outside my comfort zone. When's the last time you had to step outside of it recently? Probably in the role that I'm in now as a the leadership and discipleship pastor at a at a local church, I had you know just had to develop a whole new uh, skill set to do this job. I didn't I wasn't seeking a job in in church ministry, nor did I have any particular experience at it. This job, which I've only been in for a couple of years, probably is the most the biggest step outside my comfort zone recently. Good advice too. So, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? I'm still learning this lesson, and I think it's important for all of us. I'm going to switch into the motivational speaker, Debbie. And that is, you know, I believe we were all created uniquely for a reason. You know, we have unique gifts and talents and sensibilities that need to be seen in the world. And unfortunately, we live in a society of conformity and assimilation. People want to be popular and accepted, and that usually means being like something or someone else. So the most important lesson I've learned in life as I've gotten older particularly is to be comfortable in my own skin and to be okay with who Debbie is and not to try to live up to or down to someone else's expectation of me. And that really has come with age, you know, particularly as women, you might relate to this as well, Jill. You know, I grew up wanting to people please and wanted to be accepted, wanted to be liked. I would make adjustments and, you know, trying to be accepted. And I finally hit 40 and it was like a a switch flipped. And I no longer cared as much what people thought about me. I'm just going to be who I am. And if you don't like that, that's your loss, not mine. Uh, But it takes years to get to that kind of assurance and, and confidence. And I really think if more people would take that journey of learning who they were created to be, why you're put on this earth and walk in that Without apology, you really would have a better world to live in. I think so, too. And I was just reading a book. It's called Reviving Ophelia about prepubescent girls. When you're a young girl, you have all this confidence and you're so sure of yourself. You hit puberty and then you're a mess. And then when you become middle aged, you realized that 
you were right all along when you were a little girl and you don't have to change yourself. You don't have to dress like Instagram influencers. Your life shouldn't revolve around how many people likes your posts or or comments on your posts. You just got to be yourself. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm seeing it happen before my very own eyes. I have a 12 year old daughter. You know, and I'm watching her struggle with being accepted and wanting to be popular, but pretending like it's not important and kind of just struggle. Well, okay, well, who is she and who does she really identify with? And as a mother, it's torturous to watch because she's reached that age now. I can't fix everything. I can't control everything. I can't make her friends for her. She's got to, you know, kind of uh, find her own way. And of course, I'm there to help her. Uh, whenever she's willing to accept the help. But yeah, what you know, women really we we go through and we're socialized to do this. You know, we're we're socialized to be consensus builders and and peacekeepers and and to wear 20 different hats and be all things to all people. And some of that is a secret to our strength, but some of that is uh, a reason for, if not our downfall, holding us back in, in certain ways. I'm a strong proponent of raising strong, independent young girls who are okay with who they are. And their hair doesn't have to be a certain color. Their eyes don't have to be a certain color. Their hips don't have to be a certain size. They don't have to wear a certain designer name on anything on their body. They are okay just like they are. And I, you know, I think we're coming into that as women, but we still have a ways to go. Yeah. I always feel like Gen Z is going to save us they stick up for people. They, they want to have everybody represented. They want us all to be treated as equal. It's up to them to save us because we need to be like that. These girls are amazing and they go through so much and they say it's like a Bermuda triangle. These really strong girls go into the Bermuda triangle and they lose themselves. And they, and I was reading an article the other day that prepubescent girls and pubescent girls have anxiety, they're depressed, and a lot of it around social media and try to fit these ideas of what girls should be that don't even exist. And it's so important for them to be proud of themselves and to be strong and to love themselves. I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. You know, my favorite thing to say to young girls, young ladies is, you know, a nose is for breathing, not for beauty. You know, your legs are for walking, not for sex appeal. And so if your body parts function the way they were created, then you're good. Everything else is gravy. So what is the one thing that you can't live without that you have to have? Well, the practical answer would be sleep. I'm a big proponent of sleep. (laughs) My faith. I I would have to say my faith. That's important. My identity is in Christ. My salvation, you know, is through his work on the cross. And it allows me to be okay with being Debbie. It allows me to present in the world with confidence and to, you know, to seek to fulfill my purpose on earth. So can't live without my faith in God through Jesus. So what is your biggest guilty pleasure? Oh gosh, I'm such a a sugarholic. It's not even really, I should go to a support meeting. I love sweets. And when I'm unleashed and completely undisciplined, especially during the holidays, I have a dessert after every meal. (laughs) What's your favorite ultimate dessert? What would it be? It's hard to pick one, but I'm a pie girl. 
I love pie of any kind. Sweet potato, pumpkin. How about peanut butter pie? Peanut butter pie, you know, anything in a crust. I'll love it. And I'll eat it three times a day if I get the opportunity to do it. Well, I'm with you on that one for sure. So if you were a superhero, what would you be and what would your secret power be? I think if I were a superhero, I would want my superpower to be invisibility. Oh, really? Yes, because I would I would love to go into places and spaces where I'm not welcomed and find out what's going on in there. <laughs> and then would you appear and say, ah. I don't know what I would do with it. I think I would also want to be in those places where very exclusive places that where people, other people, regular people are not allowed and get all the, the secrets and come out and say, hey, here's the true secret to success. This is what's going to happen in business to give every give everybody an equal shot. shot. Uh, I'm not a big fan of elitism and ex- exclusivity. Um, so I would use it in that way, kind of a Robin Hood kind of thing. So steal the information from the rich and then give it to everybody like the Robin Hood. Leaking, leaking. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. There we go. There we go. So you answered all 21 questions. And one thing we didn't get to talk about is you have a book out, right? Tell me about your book or tell everybody else because I've read it and I love it. Tell us about your book. Yes, thank you so much. I um, just published about a year ago um, my book called Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. I call it a memoir with a faith message. I talk a lot about had my pageant experience, sort of the behind the scenes look at uh, what it took to get there and what competing on the Miss America stage was like. Um, but not just there. I don't just stop there. I talk about going through veterinary school, about being single until I was 42, what needed to happen in me to be ready for that ultimate mate. I talk about my travails in fertility. I was, you know, I got married at 42, so I didn't know if I'd be able to have a child. And thankfully we did have one, but we also lost two others, had two miscarriages. So I share, I overshare really, but I talk a lot about sort of those difficulties specifically to share the lessons that I've learned as a result of them. But also I wanted to pull the veil back because I think many people who struggle, whether it's with their confidence or the you know difficulty of their circumstances, sometimes they feel like they're alone and that makes them feel defeated and depressed and hopeless. And so So what I'm hoping is when people read my book and say, wait, hey, this Miss America or this veterinarian or whatever went through this and she made it through, I can get through as well. So I'm hoping that readers will come away inspired and motivated and determined to live up to their full potential. So each chapter is a different motivational principle. I start with failure because I believe every true success is built on a foundation of of failures. But it's not that you fall, it's how you get back up. So I start there and I talk about faith, determination, excellence, authenticity, perseverance, patience, overcoming. And with each of those principles, I attach experiences and my own life lessons around those. So um, hopefully people will laugh because I tell a lot of funny stories and they might cry because I tell a lot of difficult stories, uh, losing my mother and of course those two babies. So hopefully the reader will see the real Debbie. Uh, and be inspired to be the real whoever they are. That's beautiful. Well, listeners, if you want to win one of Dr. Debbie Turner Bell's books, check us out on our website, 
at myvetcandy.com. You can also check us out on My Vet Candy on social media, and we're giving away some books. Thank you so much for coming on. So if someone wants to connect with you, how can they connect with you? Yeah, I'm on all the social media. The fastest way is to go to my website, debbieturnerbell.com. You just have to spell Debbie the way I spell it, D-E-B-B-Y-E-U-R-N-E-R-B-E-L-L.com. But I'm on Instagram as Debbie Turner Bell. I'm on Facebook as Debbie TB, uh, Twitter as at Dr. Debbie, D-R-D-B-D-E-B-B-Y-E. Okay, sounds good. And LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. You're not very active on LinkedIn, but I do see you on there. Thank you so much, Dr. Debbie, for being on our show. I'm so excited about giving away your book. I read it. I know everyone's going to love it. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun to answer those crazy questions. (laughs) Appreciate it. I wish you all the very best. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So that's a wrap. And listeners, thank you so much for listening today. And if you would like to win one of Dr. Debbie's coolest books ever, then you definitely want to go on our social media and tag us in social media. It's My Vet Candy. Thank you so much for listening. And we have some exciting people on our show coming up. We have Dr. Sandra Faye Butler. She's running for AVMA president. We're going to talk to her all about our candidacy. Oh my gosh, we have uh, Zonran Liao coming on our show. So definitely want to subscribe to this channel so you can keep up to date with everything BetMed. Thank you for listening. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.